0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George and Ori with you. I'm going to introduce you to two retired U.S. Navy SEALs. The first is Jocko Willink. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL officer, co-founder of Echelon Front, where he serves as the CEO, leadership instructor, speaker, strategic advisor to highly successful companies and organizations. Jocko spent 20 years in the SEAL teams, rising from the ranks to become a SEAL officer, became the most highly decorated special operations unit of the Iraq War. Jocko returned from Iraq and became officer in charge of training For all West Coast SEAL teams, let's say hello to Jocko, first of all. Hello there, Jocko. Welcome to the show. George, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. And let us bring in Leif Babin, a former U.S. Navy SEAL. He's your partner, co-founder of Echelon Front as well. He serves as president and chief operating officer. He, too, is a leadership instructor, speaker, strategic advisor to companies and business leaders, a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy He served 13 years in the Navy, including nine in the SEALs teams, including time as a platoon commander, one of the most highly decorated special operations unit of the Iraq War. Leif, welcome to the show, too. George, thanks for having us. I want to thank you both for serving. Um, I served nine years in the Navy. My unit had got called up to Desert Storm with General Schwarzkopf. We were public information officers, and I had retired or got out of it a month before the Iraq War. It's amazing. But the thank you for what you both do. Appreciate your service. So let us talk about the first book for just a little bit because that can, that will set the stage for the dichotomy of leadership and let's start with you Leif if we can extreme ownership. Tell us about that.
1: Well, Jack and I launched a uh, we, we launched our leadership company about uh, 7 years ago now and as we work with a number of companies They would ask us, "Hey, can you write down your leadership principles? Can you give us something to reference? You know, when you're not here working with us?" And so the demand signal grew and grew and grew. And finally, uh, we put that down, and that became the book that we 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 call Extreme Ownership. So that was the principles that we learned on the battlefield. This idea that uh, leaders have to own everything in their world there's no one to blame there's no excuses and you got to own not just what you're responsible for but everything that impacts your mission and that's what we titled the book because that's really the foundational principle upon which everything else is based Uh, we talk about the four laws of combat in that book cover and move simple prioritize and execute decentralized command. Those four laws of combat are how a team works together, and those are lessons we brought back from the battlefield that apply directly to any team in any
0: organization. Well, that, see, that's what's so important. It's This is not a book that economy of leadership, for example, is not a book about just the Iraq war, but it's about leadership and what you, you two went through in that war uh, and what they're probably still going through right now uh, that you can apply to just about everything in your day-to-day living, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is Jocko, and certainly we found that as we started working with civilian companies that the leadership principles that we used on the battlefield were leadership principles that applied in any situation. And then as we saw it unfold into the civilian sector completely, we saw that people utilized these skills to help with their personal lives, to help with their marriage, to help with their relationships with their kids, and how they interact with their kids' schools or other organizations that they're involved in. So, yeah, they're they're really universal principles.
0: Unlike uh, Vietnam, Jocko, where, sadly, when the soldiers came back, they were not yielded as, as heroes and as patriots, but they were looked down upon by so many people, and that was the biggest mistake I think I've ever seen, and, you know, I was in my early 20s when that was happening. When you came back from Iraq, did you feel as if uh, the American public supported you as a military person? Not necessarily the war. I've got my issues with that. But, I mean, as a soldier, did you get the kind of respect you deserved?
2: yeah I would say we definitely got well respected and well treated when we came home from the war, and i think I think that we learned our lessons as a nation after Vietnam to make sure that our veterans, when they come home from war, regardless of how someone might feel about the war itself. That they treat our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines with respect for doing their job and doing their part in trying to protect freedom
0: leif let 's talk a little bit about leadership today, and whether it's the corporate world or politics. how do you think it's going?
1: well I think we see we see <laughs> good leaders and we see bad leaders and uh, you know the, the the biggest thing that uh, leaders need to exhibit is humility uh, and there's uh that quality of humility allows, allows leaders to look in the mirror, take this brutally honest, brutally honest self-assessment, uh, uh, and recognize where they can get better, recognize where their team is maybe not accomplishing their mission, uh, where, they, where they can improve. And frankly, we work with amazing leaders across about every industry that you can imagine, uh, incredible leaders and in step, men and women that are stepping up, that are leading their teams. Uh, and I'd say we've got uh, pretty strong leadership.
0: Isn't a good leader someone who's not afraid to admit they made a mistake? Sometimes.
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because guess guess who? Guess who never makes mistakes? <laughs>
0: Nobody.
1: Everyone's going to make mistakes. So this idea that like you, you can't admit that you made a mistake, uh, it's ridiculous. Everyone already knows that you're you're going to you're going to screw up from time to time. So the reason that extreme ownership was so important uh, is that uh, that concept really resonated with so many people. Is is that. Uh, if you don't admit your mistakes uh, you're never going to actually you're never going to actually take a look at those mistakes figure out a, a problem to, to to figure out the solution to the problem so those problems continue to happen over and over and over again so uh, and, and of course then you never get better as a result so that's really the that's why humility is so important that's why extreme ownership is so important uh, and really then then the, the bigger issue we see with leadership that's why we wrote the second book the dichotomy of leadership is because one of the most common problems we see with leaders is this idea that, uh, you know, they hear a word like extreme uh, in, in the title there and misinterpret that to think they got to be on the extreme uh, end of, of one side or the other, of these two forces pulling on them. Uh, and really, what leaders need is balance. you gotta, you got to find balance somewhere in the middle between two opposing forces. So you've got to be a leader and you got to be a follower.
0: Well, and Teddy Roosevelt once said, if you have never made a mistake, that means you've never tried at anything. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. How close, Jocko, should a company leader, a military leader, get to their rank and file or the troops? Like I've heard so many different things that they should not be friendly with the people that they work with or who work under them, and then I've heard other people say it's it's creates a family atmosphere if they know them well. So where where do you stand,
2: George? That's a, that's a great question, and that. Not- that actually comes directly from something that we talk about inside the dichotomy of leadership, because that is one of those dichotomies that absolutely has to be balanced. And the fact of the matter is, can a leader be too close to their troops where they start to make decisions based on their personal relationships instead of based on what's best for the mission? Yes, that can absolutely happen. Can a leader be, too distant from their troops where they don't know them well enough to understand what's driving them, what's motivating them, and they don't understand their what's happening in their personal lives and what kind of decisions they could make to help the person have a better life overall. Yes, they can be too distant. So what a what a leader has to do is they have to constantly modulate between being too close and being too far away from their people. And the other thing that's tricky especially with that dichotomy is there's different people that can handle it differently. So I might have one subordinate leader that, or subordinate person on my team that I can be very, very close to. But when you know, we can go out, we can we can go out and have some dinner. We can hang out on the weekends. But when we get to work, he knows it's professional. He mm-hmm. goes back into that mode of of me being the boss and, and him, you know, following what I what I say, or at least doing what we're trying to make happen. On the other hand, I might have someone that I go out to dinner with one time, or hang or, hang out with over the weekend. All of a sudden, he thinks we're best friends and he doesn't need to listen to me at work anymore. <laughs> so what I have to do is I have to find the balance in between those two. It's a little bit different for each person. I would tell you this, when you work with someone, you lean towards being a little bit more distant at the beginning because it's harder to, to take that slack back out and, and, try and try and separate yourself than it is to continue to, to uh, get closer to someone over time in a controlled manner so that that, that, that trust and that relationship doesn't get violated.
0: I, I know in our case here at Coast to Coast, I've got a handful of people that I work with that I have for the last 16 years, minimal turnover. And I let them do their thing. Uh, I'll step in when I think I have to, but, but by and large, they're professionals. They know what they're doing in all capacities. Uh, but they know that if I say something, that's the way it is. And they have that kind of respect, and I have that kind of respect for them.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense, and I'll I'll tell you, if you have a good relationship with your people, and I'll put you on the spot now, George, if one of your people, if you said, hey, this is the way we're going to do it, and one of your people that has a lot of experience says, hey, George, I think this might be a better way, and here's why, A good leader, a good boss is going to say, you know what, your idea makes sense. Let's go with that. And there's no ego getting involved in what you try and do as a team is come up with the best plan, not worry about who actually came up with a plan and who's going to get credit. It's all about what's best for the
0: team. Yeah, I want my staffers to challenge me. I I don't want to surround myself with a bunch of yes people.
2: That's Uh, 100% right, and I, I advise leaders... To, to set themselves up in that way all the time. You don't want to be surrounded by yes-men. You don't want to be in an echo chamber. The, the best ideas are not formulated inside of an echo chamber. That's, that doesn't work out.
0: When we talk about uh, some of the things that you two went through in Iraq, and uh, just reading the dichotomy of leadership, I mean, you went through a lot of things where, you know, you were almost ambushed when you noticed, for example, that the citizens of Ramadi uh, started disappearing, you knew there was going to be an imminent attack, that it was going to come upon you. What's it like to be in that kind of situation, knowing that at any moment, from any building, you could get killed?
1: Well, the urban environment is incredibly difficult to, to fight in, and we certainly uh, found that out you know, day-in, day-out operations, where you know the, we're fighting against an insurgency that hid amongst the civilian populace, uh, it was hard to determine you know who who the bad guys were and you 'd have folks that would come out and, and dump a hundred round uh, uh hundred rounds from a bell fed machine gun at you and then ditch their weapon and then walk down the street as if they 're uh you know an average citizen and, and you can 't shoot them because they' they 're unarmed uh, so that's, those were incredibly difficult We just we, we had to uh, we, we had an aggressive posture as we moved into those areas. We tried to mitigate risk by setting up sniper overwatch teams that could uh, that could protect our, our guys on the ground uh, but, but frankly, I think the best way uh, we could describe those operations george was awesome we we had we had a lot of fun in there and it was we had some tough tough fights and we had some tough days where we lost guys uh and i'd trade those days for anything but most of those days were uh, some of the best days of my life. We, we knew we were fighting an evil insurgency. We knew we were, we were uh, delivering impact on the battlefield, and we learned, uh, we learned tremendous leadership lessons learned you know, from those efforts.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.